Today is a real special day for my wife and I and for Legacy Church. Um, we have a, a, a special guest, um, Pastor Sam and his wife, Michelle, and uh, their five kids, um, Caleb and, and uh, Michaela, are sitting right here on the front row, and the other three are running around here somewhere. Um, I think they're being taken care of. No, I'm just kidding. They're, they're great. They're with our kids' areas. Uh, but, but they have been, they, they, if we were their youth pastors for three years, 2003 to 2006. Seems like a lifetime ago. I can't believe we've known each other that long. That's crazy. You had hair and I was thinner. Notice I said thinner. I wasn't exactly thin, but, uh, but it's been amazing. Their church, Freedom Life in uh, Christiana, Pennsylvania, is doing amazing things. They're getting ready to open up their fourth location. There's a fourth location in September 11th. Um, they're in the middle of Amish country. Anybody ever been to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania? That's where their church is. And they are killing it. They're reaching thousands of people on a weekly basis through their ministries. And uh, all over the state of Pennsylvania. It's, it's an amazing thing. And, uh, and they have been one of the biggest supporters of you guys in Legacy Church. Uh, my wife and I, their friends, their pastors. And, and without further ado, could you welcome Pastor Sam, please? Hey, thank you. Thank you, my friend. Hey, stand with me one more time if you would. And what an honor to be here with you guys. I bring you greetings from the Amish Mafia in Lancaster County. And uh, man, it is good. Again, I'm here with my beautiful wife, Michelle. We do have five children because she can't keep her hands off me. And that's not true at all. But we do have five kids. We are blessed. And uh, what a joy to be here. Buddy and Shelly are uh, great friends. They're amazing people. And uh, you are privileged uh, and I mean that. You're privileged to be a part of this church. Now, I'm going to encourage you uh, to not just come alone, but to bring other people. Let's give some honor to Buddy and Shelly, visionaries of this house. Love you guys. And uh, you're just getting started. The best is really yet to come. So I'm going to give you a word I think will encourage you today, uh, hopefully help you, move you along uh, a little bit. In just a moment, we're going to begin with an attempt at humor. And uh, go ahead and turn to your neighbor and tell him it's about to get slap your mama good. Come on, just tell him that right now. Okay, turn to your second choice. Tell them that means it's going to be okay today. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Well, let me uh, begin the uh, attempt at humor, and then we'll pray. And uh, in just a moment, you can be seated. Uh, a man and a woman were married for many years. Well, actually, no, let me, let me do this one. Uh, let me do this one first. I like this one better. Morris and his wife, Esther, went to the state fair every year. And every year, Morris would say, Esther, I'd really like to ride in a helicopter. Esther always replied, I know Morris, but that helicopter is $50. Have you done this one recently? No. Oh, good. Uh, and $50 is $50. One year, Esther and Morris went to the fair, and Morris said, Esther, I'm 85 years old. If I don't ride that helicopter, I might never get another chance. To this, Esther replied, Morris, that helicopter ride is $50, and $50 is? Okay, you're still with me. The pilot overheard the couple and said, folks, I'll make you a deal. I'll take you both up for a ride, and if you can stay quiet for the entire ride, I won't charge you anything. But if you say one word, it'll cost you $50. Morris and Esther agreed. They went up. The pilot did all kind of maneuvers to try to get them to, to scream and be scared, but not a word was heard. When they landed, the pilot turned to Morris and said, I did everything I could to get you guys to yell out, but you didn't. I'm very impressed. Morris said, well, to tell you the truth, I almost said something when Esther fell out of the helicopter, but you know, $50 is $50. And uh, so anyway, <laughs> turn to your neighbor and say, I hope it gets better than that. I really hope it gets better than that. Hey, let's go ahead and pray. Father, I pray over these next few moments as we open our hearts and we open your word that you would speak to us, that you would change us, 
that we would never be the same again. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Come on, let's give Jesus some praise this morning as we're seated. God is good and so good to have you with us today. It's great to be here in in Columbus or Canal Winchester, near Columbus, right? Did I get that right? All right, hey, grab your Bibles if you brought them alone. Open your smartphone, your iPad, whatever the case may be. Turn with me uh, quickly to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 4. I want to read verse 4 in just a moment. Today I want to talk to you about uh, continuing in your series called Shift. Everybody say Shift. And uh, today I want to talk about uh, how to have faith that shifts your future. And if I had an alternative uh, title, I'd say there's still room for you. Everybody say there's room. And so we're going to get into it in, in, in just a few moments, but I want to set this up, and I have a number of stories I want to share with you to hopefully encourage you, uh, maybe even inspire you, but to let you know that your greatest days are out in front of you. You may be broke, busted, and disgusted. You may be discouraged. You, we all have issues that we deal with in life, but God loves you. He is for you. He has released good things into your future, and you receive everything. Everybody say everything. Everything by faith. And uh, so we're going to talk about shift, how to shift, how to shift your future by using your faith. So the story I want to open up with, and I want to give you a few thoughts about, and uh, I got a number of things I want to uh, get into today that I think will help you. Uh, is a story uh, going back to the Old Testament. The Jewish people, or the Israelites, were led uh, for much of their history, not all of it, they were led by kings. There was a period of time where there was judges that were like kings that oversaw and, and led those people. God didn't desire that they would have any kings. He wanted to lead them, but they said, hey, give us a leader. And so they ultimately had a leader by the name of King Saul. King Saul did good for a while, but he got kind of wise in his own eyes. He made some poor decisions, and the Lord lifted his hand off of him. He ultimately placed his hand upon a young boy by the name of David. You may know David from, he was the little guy that ultimately killed Goliath, and, and God uh, placed his hand upon him, and he would, he would ultimately be the king of Israel. An amazing story. God would bypass King Saul's family and his son Jonathan, and he would ultimately anoint David. See, Saul knew that David was anointed to be king, and he was incredibly jealous of that reality. He made life very, very difficult for David. Anybody, have, anybody in your family like that that make life very difficult for you? Don't look at them. Just, you know, very difficult. And, and the Bible says he ultimately tried to kill David. He was angry. He was upset. He was ultimately jealous of, those, uh, uh, of David and what God had for him. And, and the Bible uh, kind of goes through and tells this, this epic story and this tale. And we get to this point, and, and David is still alive. And, and the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth. <laughs> if you could use names in Scrabble, that would be the one. Mephibosheth, and, and it's an interesting name, so if you're pregnant, just I recommend it. Who, uh, he was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. 
So the story is this. God had anointed David. He was waiting. He was actually on the run. There's all kind of issues that were going on. King Saul, who took the crazy pill, was going on without the hand of God upon him. God ultimately judged Saul, and Saul and Jonathan were killed. But Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, was still alive. When he was five years old, the report came, as I read just a moment ago, that they had been killed and battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and she fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. Now, if you fast forward just a few chapters to chapter 9, we pick up on this story and this idea of Mephibosheth. One day, David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can, and you, know, you would think that he would say, anyone who I need to put to death because Saul was terrible to me and his family's going to come after me, so I need to make sure all of my enemies are taken care of. That's not what David thought. And he didn't have a focus on fear of the past. He had great faith for his future. And as he looked to the past, he remembered it differently. See, say, uh, David loved Saul. David was great friends with Jonathan. And though he was wounded, though he had negativity that happened in his past, he did not allow it to shape and to form his future. Now, that's a word for us before I get into the points I want to give to you. See, in your life, maybe there's times where a word came or something happened where you were injured in life, where it kind of crippled you emotionally. Not Maybe not physically like Mephibosheth, but emotionally, man, someone cheated on you. Someone walked out on you. Someone stopped believing in you. That job that you thought you would have for years, well, all of a sudden, you got the pink slip and you were on your way. You're a part of that family, and one day your spouse came home and said, you know what, I don't want to be with you any longer. Maybe you had parents that were more like Saul treating David instead of loving and honoring you. We've all encountered things in our lives that can hold us back from the future that God has for us. The Bible says that David did not allow that to happen, and he still chose to honor uh, each of those things in his life. And he said, hey, is there anyone in Saul's family? I'm going to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive, and he's crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Well, he's in Lodabar. Everybody say Lodabar. It sounds like a, a town in Amish land. But anyway, Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Machir, son of Amuel. Stay with me. So David sent for him and brought him from Machir's home. His name was Mephibosheth, and Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Phibi replied, I'm your servant. Verse 7, don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I'll give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you'll eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed and he said, Who is your servant that you would show such kindness to a dead dog like me? I want you to stop for a moment. And we're going to go somewhere and I'm going to preach you happy. But, but I just want to uh, stop for a moment and, and just point out, did you see how he viewed himself? See, God had favored him, and he didn't even realize it. God had good things in his future, 
but he had talked himself out of anything that was his. In fact, the king came to him, tapped him on his shoulder and said, listen, I'm going to give you everything that that your parents had. I'm going to bless you. There's room for you at the table. And he said, why would you even consider a dead dog like me? He really struggled with who he was. And the Bible says that the king summoned Saul's servant, Ziba, and said, I've given your master's grandson everything. Everybody say, everything? Everything that belonged to Saul and his family, you and your sons, and our servants are to farm the land for him, produce the food for your master's household. Verse 11, yes, my lord, the king, I'm your servant. I'll do all that you've commanded. And from that time on, everybody say it with me, from that time on, come on, say it again, from that time on. From that time on, let's try that one more time. Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem, and he ate regularly at the king's table. So let's talk about it for a few moments uh, today. Every single person here has thoughts. Experts say 30 to 70,000 thoughts a day will flood your mind and your thinking. The thoughts that you choose to think on and accept get into your heart. They create your future and ultimately your destiny. Uh, Dr. Carolyn Leaf says 75 to 90% of illnesses that occur in your body are a direct result of toxic thinking or accepted thoughts that do not follow the pattern and plan, the purpose that God has for you. That means that uh, they call it epigenetics, that in your DNA, there's cancers and all these things that can actually be activated. It's not always the case, but they can actually be activated depending upon how you think. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, he was the son of King David, said, be careful how you think because your thoughts, they run your life. Thoughts are like trains. They take you somewhere. And here's the reality. You can't live a big life. You can't live a positive life with a negative mind. You're going to have to shift your thinking from fear to faith. And if you want to see God's plan and his purpose come to pass in your life, if you want to be blessed and highly favored, if you want to accomplish all that God has for you before you fall asleep and enter into eternity, it's going to require this one thing from you. It's going to require a shift. Everybody say shift. It's going to require a shift in your thinking. You have the power to choose. See, you are the thinker of your thoughts. God's not. And the devil's not. You are the thinker of your thoughts. And the thoughts that you choose, they are taking you somewhere. So here's some thoughts that I want to give to you today. First is everyone has faith. Everybody say faith. And how many of you have ever taught a teenager to drive before? Anybody? Come on. Anybody? I'm doing that now. You have a lot of faith. You have the gift of faith. We'll just keep going on that. The Bible says in Romans 12 thing that God has dealt each person a measure of faith. Sometimes people say to me, hey, Sam, I just don't feel like I have any faith. The truth is that every single person on the planet has been given a measure of faith, and you have faith. Come on, say it with me. Say, I have faith. 
You have faith. You've been given a measure. And here's the second thing I want to give to you before I give you a number of points. You choose the level of your faith. Everyone has faith, and you choose how much God blesses you. You get to choose the level of faith that you live in your life. You choose. Uh, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 9, verse 29, it said about Jesus, he touched their eyes and he said, let it be done for you according to your faith. You can't always determine what happens to you, but you can understand that it happens for you because God has a hope and a future and he's taking you somewhere that's good. Go ahead, turn to your neighbor and tell him it's good. It's good. So let me give you a few thoughts today, and I'll give you an acronym of faith. And here's what the F stands for. Go ahead and write this down. If you're going to have faith, you're going to have to shift your thinking from fear to faith. And the F stands for this. Focus on the positive. Focus on the positive. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, holy, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I'll never forget, we were trying to open our first location. We had maxed out our current facility that is centrally located in the middle of nowhere in the cornfields, as Buddy well knows, and he did an amazing job. We got to serve together for a few years, and there were our youth pastors, and we saw so many young people come to Jesus, and I'm forever indebted uh, to you and the part that you played in our story. And, uh, but we wanted to open up a new campus because I want to reach people, not just be in the cornfields. And uh, so I said, man, we, we got to go for it. Let's go to a place that's a little bit further away that has people. It's a little uh, city uh, called Coatesville. Coatesville's multicultural. It's, it's an interesting, uh, it's interesting city. And, and I just love that And uh, because I'm not Amish. And I said, let's get where there's like a variety of people. You know what I'm talking about? And I said, uh, here's what we're believing for. We want to meet in this particular school. And so I told uh, the guy that we had kind of tasked, I, I, I knew that he was going to be our campus pastor. I said, hey, I want you to go get an application, fill it out. That's the school I believe that God wants us to meet in. And uh, it, part of it was because it was very spiritual and I felt like God spoke to me. The other part of it is there's literally nowhere else good to meet. So it's easy to hear the voice of the Lord when there's no options. You know what I'm talking about? And so I said, go get that application. He went inside. He said, I'd like to get an application so that we can meet here. They said, we're sorry. We're not giving you an application. He said, why? We are not going to rent this facility to a church. And he said, okay. So he came back to me. He said, Sam, what do we do? I said, hey, we're fixing our eyes. I believe that God has this for us. I had some friends of mine visiting out of town, some pastor friends. We drove onto the property and said, guys, this is where we're going to meet. Not sure how yet, but we're believing we're going to meet it. We have fixed our eyes. We stood there. We prayed in faith. I sent Josh back because we prayed. I said, Josh, I want you to go and ask for an application again. He went back in full of faith, full of power. We had prayed. We had fixed our hearts and our eyes. He said, I'd like an application. And they said, no. And we said, okay, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to open up a new location. It's going to open on this date. We're going to believe for it. Month after month went by. And we still had no application, nowhere to meet. And he said, where are we going to meet? I'm starting to get stressed out. I said, don't worry about it. We just need to fix our eyes. God is going to open the doors. We're going to meet in that school in Jesus' name. <laughs> I hope. 
How many of you ever felt like that? I have a lot of faith, mostly. And as we stood there, I said, hey, we're going to believe. Let's keep praying. Let's keep pushing. Let's keep believing. And so we fixed our eyes, and we said, man, we're going to have faith. We're going to shift our thinking. We're not going to talk about what if it doesn't happen, what if it doesn't occur. No, 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 no. We're going to pray. We're going to trust. We're going to believe. And if God takes it another way, then we will go another way. But until that time, we're going to keep moving forward. That's a word for someone today. You've got to keep moving forward forward. And so uh, we, we went and he's like, I don't know what to do. And I said, just keep praying. Well, wouldn't you know, just a few weeks after that, he w- was at a, some sort of banquet. He was sitting beside a lady. He got talking with her. Uh, she had been to a, a wedding in our church and it just so happened she was on the school board. He began to tell her the story of what had happened, that we couldn't even get an application. The principal said he does not want us in their facility, in their building. No amount of money can allow us to do that. She said, let me see what I can do. Within one week, we had a call from the district superintendent who said, this is how much it costs. Now, they gave us a really high price. We said, okay. And uh, we had a... uh, we had an application, it was affirmed, we had an agreement to meet in that school. I stood before the church, just uh, like I'm standing before you, just a few weeks after that, and I said, hey, I just got to announce something, I got to tell you what happened, because I'm a great man of faith, <laughs> I think, and uh, we're, we're really excited. I said, we're going to be meeting at Rainbow Elementary School. It's a $23 million facility that the school district built for us to meet in, at a reduced price, so we didn't have to care for everything. We just could just show up and have church. And, and, and it's so incredible. And as the picture came onto the screen, there was a little lady just, just about in the back, and I saw her crying. Now, I always tell people, my goal when I'm done preaching is that you'll want to charge hell with a squirt gun. I, I, I want to get you pumped up. Uh, I'm not really much of a crier, though my wife's working on me. Because I think it's good and very spiritual and important. And we'll keep going. Okay. And as I'm standing there, she's crying. I'm like, why is she crying? Am I preaching that bad? What is really happening here? And uh, uh, she comes to me after the service. And she's like, I just need to tell you something. See, I just started coming to your church. She was, uh, uh, she, she was uh, probably in her late 60s, early 70s. She said, I just started coming to your church. And she said, I absolutely love it. All the fog and smoke and lights and all these things and kids everywhere. Well, I, I just absolutely love it. And uh, she said, but I got to tell you. She said, that property that you're meeting on, my daddy took a risk many years ago. And when he took that risk, he bought that farm. I grew up on that property. And my daddy prayed every day that one day a church would be on that property. She said, but 20 years ago, uh, my father died. The family had the property. We had to sell it. There's nothing we can do. The taxes were too high, all those different things. And, And I thought, man, my dad's dream had died. We had sold it to the school. It was a good thing, but it's not what he prayed for. It's not what he believed for. She said, for the last 20 years, I've driven to work past that old farm that I lived on, and I asked Jesus to honor my daddy's dream and to somehow put a church there. And when you stood up there today and you said you're opening up a church in that location, I just need to let you know that that is the culmination of a dream that we prayed for for years. And I just want to tell you something. Don't grow weary in doing well. God is able you need to fix your mind. You need to, come on, if you're going to clap, don't golf clap. Come on. You need to fix your mind. You need to fix your heart. God wants to do something big in your life and in your world. Everybody say focus. You got to fix your heart. You need to fix your thoughts. Here's the second thing. For A, you need to affirm yourself. Psalm 42, 11 says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? 
I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. David had a lot of reasons to be discouraged. He had a call by God. He had a promise from God, and everything was going bad. But he knew that he needed to set his focus. He needed to choose and understand that he was chosen by God. He had to affirm in himself. You need to know today, I was driving through Kentucky with my family on the way here. We were at Dollywood. Anybody ever go to Dollywood? It was just a life-changing experience. We had a good time. It was interesting. So we are driving through Kentucky. You'll know it's uh, the Kentucky Derby. Uh, that, that's there. And my wife and I were talking. And we said, we need to go to a horse race sometime. <laughs> and the reason is, is because she was named after a horse. Her dad named after a horse, which is fantastic. And uh, it's great. Anyway, and, and so we need to go to a horse. I said, that's good. That's good. And I was thinking about Kentucky Derby. Did you know, did you know those thoroughbreds that are there at those horse races are prestigious? That they are generations, they follow the bloodlines of those horses. And they breed those horses in a way to make sure that the DNA, the genetic makeup that was in a champion horse, they'll spend a lot of money to ensure that that DNA gets passed on to the next horse. And, and when that little colt is born, it doesn't look like much. I mean, it just comes out and, and it's, you know, just, it's not coordinated. It doesn't look like a champion. But on the inside, it has the DNA of a champion. And you need to know something. When you look at when I look in the mirror and say, man, I don't look like much. I'm just a wee little man that lost all my hair and all those different things. But on the inside, man, I have the DNA of Almighty God. Inside, I have the blood of Jesus that washed me and made me new. On the inside of me, I'm a champion. On the inside of me, I am called. I am chosen. I am favored. I'm anointed. I'm appointed. I am loved by Almighty God. And that's what God says about you. You are somebody. You're called by God. Stop saying, well, I don't, I'm not very much. And, you know, I don't even pray very much. You know, God has more important things to do. Never insult the creator who thought enough of you to pluck you out of eternity and place you on the planet for such a time as this. You are not a cosmic accident. You have always been in the mind and the heart of God. He's placed dreams on the inside of you. He's given you vision for your future. You're alive today because God placed you here. And God desires to use your life for the saving of many people. You are somebody, and you need to speak in that way. Come on, I tell my church all the time, if we're going to clap, everybody clap.